If you've read very many stories or watched very many movies, whether you know it or not, you're familiar with the format of a good story. As we've already said, there's a main character called the protagonist who wants something. In our story, that protagonist is God, and what he wants is to live among his own people and be their God. That's why God created mankind. But God didn't just want to make mindless drones who do whatever he wants, so he created people in his own likeness with the ability to choose to partner with God and his kingdom. The next thing that happened in the story, in any story, is what we know as the inciting incident, an event that disrupts normal for the main characters. In our story, that event was the moment that Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As a result of that one event, things started to spiral out of control, which we've seen in the form of murder, slavery, and even worse. Well, after the inciting incident, the protagonist starts a journey to reconcile the problem. As we have seen, since mankind rebelled against God, God has been actively working to create ways for his precious creation to come back to him and follow his path. However, since God gave these beings made in his image the authority to make decisions for themselves, it's not as simple as it sounds. God, because of his nature, cannot compromise on what is required for his paradise. So far, God has, has made three covenants with the people to lead them out of the chaos of rebellion and back into his plan. The first was with Noah, second was Abraham, and the third was with Moses and the whole nation of Israel. Each of these covenants were initiated by God with the purpose of bringing the whole human race back into his story. Especially within the covenant with Israel, we see that God wants to partner with his people to be his representatives to all of humanity. The expectation is that they live up to the commands that he gave Moses on Mount Sinai. Well, we ended last week with God giving Israel a particularly difficult command to completely eliminate the Canaanites from the land that they were entering to take as their own. To this day, we ask ourselves a question, why would God want to do such a harsh thing? As we saw last week, the Canaanites were people who had embraced many atrocious, rebellious practices, including sacrificing children to false gods. This was horrific and something that God just could not allow in his promised land. God was going to judge the Canaanites and bring his justice through his chosen people. Before entering the promised land, the people had to cross another river, the Jordan. Now, the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season, but as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge and the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam, a city next to Zarethan. The water flowing downstream into the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off and the people crossed opposite Jericho. Now that they've entered the Promised Land, the question is would they obey this difficult command to get rid of the Canaanites? As we follow the life of Joshua, we see many times where God fights for the Israelites and completely destroys cities of Canaanites. We see God completely destroy the city of Jericho when all that the people had to do was march around it and yell. But that was what God had told them to do. 
Joshua had also commanded them to not take anything from the city for themselves, but that it was all the, all the plunder that they got from the city was supposed to be set apart for the Lord's treasury. Unfortunately, one guy disobeyed Joshua. As a result, the Israelites, even though they should have easily won the next battle against Ai, they end up losing. When Joshua comes to God and asks why, God says, someone took something that was set apart for himself. And God says this to Joshua, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived, and, and put those things with their own belongings. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. Well, once Joshua and the leaders of the Israelites had dealt with the rebellion of the one person in the camp, God led them back into battle against Ai and they won. Joshua and the Israelites completely destroyed the city and all of its inhabitants. But do you remember last week how God said to, to not make a treaty with the Canaanites? Well, a group of leaders of the Canaanites, Amorites, Hivites, and others disguised themselves in old clothes, deceiving Joshua and the elders. Joshua and some men of Israel took what the deceivers offered them and made a treaty with them without seeking the Lord's guidance. They swore an oath to let them live. You might say, well, what's the big deal? They were deceived. The big deal is they didn't seek God's way. They chose their own. Even though Joshua and the Israelites would win many battles and, and conquer the land, they did end up letting people live. After Joshua died, the Israelites started letting people live even though God was giving them the victory. We see several times how the people could not drive out the people who were living in the land. And we see that at the time, Manasseh failed to take possession of Beth Shean and Tanakh and, and their surrounding villages, or the residents of Dor, Ibliam, and, and Megiddo and their surrounding villages. The Canaanites were determined to stay in this land. When Israel became stronger, they made the Canaanites serve as forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Noah's curse that he pronounced to Ham's son would come to pass. The Canaanites would be Israel's servants, but they were disobeying God's command. And that is always a problem. Because of this, the Lord left the Canaanites and the Philistines in the land to test Israel, to determine if, if they would keep the Lord's commands that he had given their ancestors through Moses. But they settled among the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites took their daughters as wives for themselves and, and gave their own daughters to their sons and worshiped their gods. So God had been clear what he wanted and, and what he wanted was that the Canaanites completely be removed from the land. But the Israelites failed to do that. It's hard to understand, but, but God knew something that they didn't know. He knew the tendency of his people to be drawn into worshiping other gods. God knows the hearts of all people. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And, and just like he saw that the hearts were only evil all the time back with Noah, he can see the tendency all people have in their hearts to, to want to make gods in their own image instead of worshiping the God who made us in his image. The end result is that Israel never stops wrestling with God. 
Even though they, they have now entered into the promised land, their refusal to rid the land of the Canaanites causes the people to embrace the despicable practices of the Canaanites. And for a period of time, we, we see a particular cycle repeat itself with the Israelites. So even though God had been faithful to his promise to lead them out of Egypt and into the promised land, the Israelites would fall into sin and worship idols. They didn't just do evil, they abandoned God and worshiped Baal. Because of this, God handed the people over to marauders. He sold them to their enemies and brought disaster on them just as he had said he would do. Then when the people would cry out to God because of the great suffering that they were experiencing because they chose to follow their own path, God would raise up a judge. And this judge would, would save the people from the power of their enemies. But then, when that judge would die, the Israelites would act even more evil than their ancestors. This pattern of serving God, falling into sin, becoming enslaved, crying out to God, and God sending a deliverer and delivering his people would repeat itself for about 400 years. Over time, even the judges that God would raise up were becoming more and more corrupt. The last of the seven judges in the book of Judges, Samson, continually participated in detestable Baal worship. He demands for himself a wife from the Philistines because she was right in his eyes, allowing himself to fall for the same trick that Eve fell for. He was brash and, and self-reliant, which would lead to his own imprisonment. But still, God would use Samson to bring victory by sending the Spirit of the Lord on him and destroying thousands of Philistine leaders. Israel and her leaders were still wrestling with God. Have you ever wanted something really bad? Have you ever begged a parent over and over again for something? Or maybe you've even begged God for something. I know I have. I can remember several times in my life where, where there was something that I wanted, whether it was a job or a house, and, and, and my prayers to God were just consumed with begging God to give me what I want. I, was, I want my Oompa Loompa and I wanted it now. I'm sure that's not a problem for you. But just in case it is, you need to know that you're not alone. The Israelites wanted something bad too. They had seen something that other nations had, and they wanted that same thing for themselves. After Solomon's atrocious leadership, we come across this verse in Judges chapter 17, verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Not only do we see this downward spiral continue on in the nation of Israel, this is exactly what we see continuing on in the world today. It's the garden all over again. We have followed in the same footsteps that we want to determine for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. We want to determine for ourselves what is good and evil. But doesn't that verse we just read sound like it's leading you somewhere? Like, like maybe it's leading you to a new idea that Israel would have a king? Well, if that's what you were thinking, you're right on target. God raised up a man by the name of Samuel, who heard the voice of God at a very young age, of whom is said, 
all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. Well, as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned towards dishonest prophet. They took bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and they go to Samuel and they say to him, Look, look Samuel, you're old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. Do you see anything wrong with that? Do you see anything wrong with them wanting a king? I do. Two things, in fact. First, what was the reason that the Israelites wanted a king? Think about it. They were motivated by comparison, maybe even jealousy. Give us a king like all the other nations have. We want a king like they do. They are God's chosen people, a nation unto God himself. God wanted all other nations to look at Israel and want what they have. The Israelites had it backwards, just like we so often do. The other problem is God was already their king. What is a king? A king is a, a ruler over land and people. What has been God's desire all along is, is that he would be our God and we would be his people. He wanted to give us his kingdom where he's the king and we are his representatives. But as we continue on, 1 Samuel 8, the people say, give us a king to judge us. This bothered Samuel. So he goes and talks to God about it. And God says to him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. They're doing the same thing to you that they've done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Well, a few chapters later, as Samuel is nearing his death, he did appoint a king. While he's appointing Saul as king, he reminds the people what they're doing. You said to me, no, we must have a king to reign over us, even though the Lord your God is your king. Samuel continues on. Now, here is the king you've chosen, the one you've requested. Look, this is the king the Lord has placed over you. If you fear the Lord, worship and obey him, and if you don't rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. However, if you disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, the Lord's hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Even though God wanted to be their king, he gave them a king because that's what they really wanted. And still in the midst of all that, God says, it will go well with you if you and your king worship me alone. But if you go your own way, you're going to have trouble. Well, things do go well with Saul as king for a while. Saul, even for a while, receives the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. But then it all goes wrong. 1 Samuel 15, 11, God says, I regret that I made Saul king, for he's turned away from following me and has not carried out my instructions. Saul tries to argue with Samuel that, that, that he was doing what was right when Samuel says, does the Lord take pleasure in and burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey 
is better than sacrifice. That should tell us everything we need to know. The reason we need sacrifices is because we disobey God. Obeying God is better than sacrifices. Well, then Samuel says, Rebellion is like the sin of divination, and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. See, God doesn't change, which means that His expectations don't change. If we do what He says, if we accept His word, He will accept us. If we don't, He won't. The judgment that comes on God's people is not because God is vindictive. It's because the people reject God and His ways. That's exactly what the first king of Israel, Saul, did. Well, things actually get worse for Saul. When Samuel anoints the next king who's going to take Saul's place while Saul is still alive, a boy by the name of David. When Samuel does this, Saul literally starts to lose his mind. Ironically, it's David who helps calm him down for a while with his music. But eventually, Saul becomes so threatened by David that he wants to kill him, which causes David to flee to the hills. And while he's out there, he puts together a group of outlaws who do good things for the locals by protecting them from the bandits, by pursuing people who had stolen and giving back what they had lost. Well, after Saul's death, there's a brief moment where his son named Ishbael, which means son of Baal, Saul named his son after one of the Canaanite gods, the fertility god. Well, Saul's son takes his own for a little while, but eventually David does become king. King David, you might have heard of, is known as a man after God's own heart. He was humble, reverent, respectful, trusting, loving, devoted, faithful, obedient, and repentant. Much of David's reign as king is remarkable. He's highly regarded by his people and by God himself. In fact, it would be through David that, that the son of David, the king of kings, would come. But even David had some critical flaws. He had eight wives. One of his wives he stole while she was married to another man, whom that, that man David actually has murdered. But even with his flaws, King David is highly regarded among the Israelites to this day. But as they say, the sins of the father pass on to future generations. David's sons would give him grief. And even though one of them, Solomon, would finally build God's temple in Jerusalem, Solomon would also acquire for himself hundreds of wives and concubines in his conquest of the region. And the influence of these wives would affect Solomon so greatly that by the end of his reign as king, Solomon acted more like an Egyptian pharaoh than a Jewish king. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, well, he would actually be responsible for dividing the kingdom of Israel into the northern and southern kingdoms. If you haven't already figured it out, whether the people are following Moses or Joshua, whether they're following a judge, a king, or even if they're following God himself, the people always seem to find their way back to idols and choosing their own path instead of God's. They wanted a king, and, and God gave them what they wanted. But unfortunately, the hearts of these kings were not unlike the hearts of the people they were leading. As God said before the flood, every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. What the people wanted was not what the people needed. 
Would they ever want what God wanted for them? And what is God going to do now? Well, God keeps pursuing his people. Even when they constantly rebel, even when they worship other gods, even when they do what is right in their own eyes, God keeps pursuing his people. And there was one more tactic that God would use to pursue the hearts of his people. To us, they're known as the prophets. The primary function of these prophets was not to predict the future, although we will see times where God did give them messages about what was to come. The primary function of the prophets was to speak for God to the people. The messages were usually difficult and nearly always unpopular. Rarely would the people listen to these messages. Sometimes they would even kill the messenger. Well, there were several prophets over the span of about 400 years, and they said too much for us to cover here in this video. But their message was the same as what God had been saying all along. In Deuteronomy 29, God warned of, of people who would think that they're exempt from following God's law, thinking, I will have peace even though I follow my own stubborn heart. The prophets would echo that same message. One of these prophets, Ezekiel, spoke of a time that would come when God would give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh. Jeremiah, another prophet, echoed that same sentiment of God. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Jeremiah understood what God had known all along. Following your own heart will always lead you into trouble. It's only by following God's heart that we will find peace as we walk on God's path. Jeremiah would also echo the teaching of Ezekiel. Look, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. Up until this point, God has made four covenants with his people, all of which were broken by the people. God continued to be faithful to the promises that he had made, even though the people continually followed their own hearts and worshipped other gods. But there was something different about this new covenant that Jeremiah shared. Even though there was nothing wrong with the previous covenants, and had the people decided to keep them, they would have thrived. But still, there was something missing in them. They failed to address the underlying issue, the heart. 
The problem with our hearts is, is not only that they want the wrong things, but that they are limited by our finite perspective. The little bit of time that, that we see does not give us the perspective we need to be able to know what is truly best. The thing that kept driving Israel into the ditch was the same thing that, that led Adam and Eve to choose to disobey the one rule God gave them in the garden. God, well, God would need to deal with the hearts of humans if anything was ever going to change. In essence, what was really needed was a new human. Not a single human that has been born has ever been able to perfectly and completely follow God's path the way God originally intended. There would need to be a new human. A human whose heart was not cursed to rebellion. A human whose heart was not strong and wise in its own eyes. A human who could carry out God's desired path and plan. Well, everything seems to have gotten progressively worse since Adam and Eve were kicked out of God's paradise. In the garden, they had everything they needed and experienced contentment as they trusted in God's plan. But as soon as they were tempted with a plan that would put them at the center of their own universe, well, since then, everything has been spinning out of control. But if you think about it, this actually makes perfect sense. God is the only being capable of sustaining life. And the only way to experience His life is to be in His presence. The only way to be in His presence is to worship him alone. We actually see this principle of work in creation. Our planet, the Earth, orbits around the Sun. We orbit the Sun because it has enough gravitational pull to keep us, the Earth, in its orbit. It also provides us light which we need to live. All life requires light. The Moon orbits the Earth because the Earth has enough gravitational pull to keep the Moon in orbit. And the reason the Earth has enough gravity for, for the Moon to stay in orbit is because the center of the Earth is a soft, moving core that also has enough density to create gravity. The Moon revolves around the Earth, which revolves around the Sun, and our solar system is part of a bigger galaxy that's part of a bigger universe that all works around this very same principle. Astronomers, though, have also now discovered what they call rogue planets. These are planets that have somehow escaped the gravitational pull of their star and are now roaming the galaxy at random. These planets are, are particularly dangerous because they could crash into other planets that are in orbit. These planets are cold, with no possibility of life or purpose, causing destruction when they collide with other planets even possibly knocking those other planets out of their orbit. This is what we have done in our rebellion against God. Instead of finding our purpose in God's design and on God's path, we have gone rogue. We have chosen to leave our orbit around God's light and are, are bouncing around the universe causing destruction and, and even knocking others off their path. The more of us who reject God's path, the more devastation and destruction there is to be had by all. When we reject God's path, there are consequences. God will not let us remain in His presence if we aren't in His orbit. If our true orbit is another God or ourselves, we will find ourselves off on our own. Which is exactly what happened to the Israelites. 
God had made promises and kept them, leading his people to the promised land, even though they kept falling short. But the condition for being in the promised land was that they had to live by God's standards. God said, Be sure there is no man, woman, clan, or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Be sure there is no root among you bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. When they entered, God had done everything he could to eradicate the bitter roots that existed in the hearts of his people. And as they entered, he said, Be careful to obey all these things I command you, so that you and your children after you may prosper forever, because you will be doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Be careful not to be ensnared by their ways after they have been destroyed before you. They practice every detestable act which the Lord hates. But the Israelites didn't do that. And because they didn't listen to God, the judges, the kings, or the prophets, they all ended up kicked out of the promised land. Once again, God has to kick his people out of paradise. Since the people wanted to live like the Babylonians, God sends the Babylonians to conquer, oppress, and drive out the Israelites. There's another incredibly sad thing that happens at this time. God stops speaking. From before the beginning until now, God has been speaking. It was his speaking in the beginning that created the earth. In the garden, God spoke to Adam and Eve. And even though his people rebelled against him, he kept speaking through people who followed his ways. But they just refused to listen. Through Jeremiah the prophet, God said to the Israelites, This is the nation that would not listen to the Lord their God and would not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It has disappeared from their mouths. Things were desperate. All hope seemed lost. But in one little word from another prophet, Malachi, we find some hope. Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. J.R.R. Tolkien once said, We all long for Eden, and we're constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most human, is still soaked with the sense of exile. We all long for Eden. We are all longing to be back in God's paradise. And we feel this deep sense in our heart that something is wrong. We know there's a better way. We know things are not supposed to be like this. There's something deep in us that looks at the brokenness, hatred, division, corruption, and chaos of the world around us and says, it's not supposed to be this way. And we're right. It's not supposed to be this way. This was not God's plan for humanity. He wanted us to be his people and to be our God. He wanted to be our king, but because we rejected his path and plan, we find ourselves on the outside of God's paradise, longing to get back in. There has to be a way. There has to be hope. 
Certainly we aren't all doomed to destruction and being exiled forever apart from God. But how? Thank you.